it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Matter of moments, Senator Joni Ernst in studio. That'll be great. Uh, And of course, we'll take your calls 1 866 408 7669. We know the President of the United States will be on 60 Minutes. He'll actually do an interview. I'm sure it's done. I'll be on 60 Minutes this Sunday, his first interview in about 300 days. It's amazing how little access he gives, a few uh, snide remarks to reporters walking in and out, and that's about it. Unlike the previous president, and almost every other previous president ever, uh, Senator has just got in here. If you're watching Fox Nation, you'll see the two shot in a matter of moments, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is definitely a win for President Trump and a loss for the Justice Department. No one should be surprised that this judge in Florida, Judge Cannon, decided not to reverse her earlier order to appoint a special master. Uh, That is John Yu, used to work in the Bush White House, now a professor of law over at Berkeley. Truth about Trump, his temporary legal victory, his power in the party, and what the poll says about his popularity leading to the midterms. Number two. Democrats are talking about abortion because they can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about schools. They can't talk about crime because it's a horrible issue for them. They can't talk about a secure border because it's a horrible issue. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, 2022. Schumer was caught telling the hard truth in a conversation we were never meant to hear about his party, the issues driving the midterms and how Biden, like uh, Biden, like coverage for from the media won't work this time when it comes to Fetterman. We'll talk about the damaged contender. Number one. I think this is just political theater. Treating people like political pawns. A lot of them didn't know where they were going, and when they landed, didn't know where they were, and just kind of walked into town, and the good people of Martha's Vineyard have wrapped. These are people you're playing with. (laughs) Deal with it. Fed up Republican governors desperate to get the government to act and do their job are sending illegals out of their state into a bright blue liberal sanctuary enclave to let them experience the burden that has wrecked their way of life. The Biden administration can't ignore this any longer. In fact, where it is, there's an emergency meeting right now. Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa, welcome. Hey, it's great to be with we you, We have Brian. so much to talk about because you had your military background as well as the experience which you're doing and then working hard to get more senators, yes. a majority of senators, uh, of course, in Washington. First things first, on this immigration issue, good move? For Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis to do what they did? Well, I think so. Absolutely. These are sanctuary cities, Brian. I mean, they they have openly said, send us, send us people and we will take care of you. And that's what these governors are accommodating. They're finding those cities that are welcoming to those illegal migrants that have come into the United States. They've asked for people to come to them. So those governors are sending them the people that are populating their communities. So uh, I don't see what's so different because I know Iowa – Um, in this last year or so, was a recipient of illegal migrants that President Biden 
flew into really? the state. With, did he, Did you get a he heads up? Flew them. No, we did not. Did your governor get a heads and up? And no, she did not. And so Senator Grassley and I had to run the trappings on this, and we did find out it was the Office of Refugee Services, um, whatever their official name is. But they they did say that, yes, we did send these migrants into the city of Des Moines, but they would not tell us who was on the plane, and they would not tell us where they were sent. Governor DeSantis, excuse me, Governor Gavin Newsom says he's going to look, he says the federal government should look into kidnapping charges and file them against DeSantis and Abbott. Well, then maybe they need to do that with President Biden as well, because we do know there were a number of those flights that originated along the the cities in the southern border, moving those migrants into the interior of the United States. And yet again, no heads up given to the governors, no heads up given, obviously, to the members of Congress. And yet we have the Office of Refugee Settlement um, that continues to move these people into the interior. So, uh, you know, What's good for the goose is good for the gander. No right? question. Here's the president yesterday. Cut one. We're committed to fixing the immigration system. Instead of working with us on solutions, Republicans are playing politics with human beings, using them as props. What they're doing is simply wrong. It's un-American. It's reckless. The only other time he talked about it was when those horseback, when those mm-hmm. Border Patrol run horseback, and he right. thought he had a racial issue right. because they were trying to corral Haitian illegals. And that ended up being totally wrong. It was false. Yes. It so was how, how do you explain a guy who's president of the United States looking past a situation that's allowing 2 million people to come in, 800,000 gotaways, fentanyl to poison our people, and 8,000 a day? And he's blaming Republicans and saying it's stunts to put 60 people into Martha's Vineyard? How do you... How do you say I'm a president and that's not important enough to address? Absolutely. I agree. And here we we do have the president that is ignoring the issue, turning a blind eye to it. We have the vice president who is the border czar that has yet to visit the border. How important was it to drop those illegals right, not at Union Station, but right to the vice president's house? Well, it's a wake-up call. It is a wake-up call. She had stated the other day that the border is secure. It is laughable. I was down in McAllen, Texas, just a number of weeks ago and saw the the illegals coming across the border. And it was so sad because CBP reported to us that 30% of the women and girls that are being trafficked to the border are being sexually assaulted by those cartel members, by those coyotes that are trafficking them. And they said they believe that is low. Those are just the ones that report. It's higher than that. It's probably closer to 60%. And yet this administration refuses to do anything about it. So I, I just to me, to see other networks leading with this story was heartening, but they're not telling the whole story. Not, they're not telling the 8,000. They don't make the trip down there. Here's Mayor Eric Adams from this city, cut 14. Anyone who states that this administration does not have a handle on this crisis They must have been sleeping under a rock. The Republican Party, uh, they have created a blueprint, it's inhumane, uh, for uh, the governor to uh, send uh, immigrants to Martha's Vineyard without any coordination. It's just creating a real crisis. That's totally incoherent. It makes absolutely no (laughs) sense. 
and at the same time, he thinks that they have a handle on the situation. Is there any? Is there anybody who legitimately thinks they have a handle on the situation? Their way of handling it is not looking at it. Right. Again, turning a blind eye. And I would say a number of months ago, months and months ago, there was a Democratic senator from the great state of New Hampshire that actually did go to the border. Maggie Hassan went to the border. She has to. She's she, in a desperate situation oh to keep her seat. Oh, my gosh. Just a horrible situation. And so she she went to the border and the Democratic Party, her party, ripped her apart for drawing attention to the issue. And she has not said a word since. See, how could you – I mean, Henry Cuellar, they tried to primary him. Right. He's another Democrat at the border. He says, well, I have a loyalty in my constituents. Twice they tried to primary him. What is it – do you understand the mindset to not address this? Do they believe eventually they're all going to get citizenship and they'll be their voters? Do they see where the Hispanic vote is going in this country? Right. And I, I have talked to Hispanic voters in Iowa and I've done roundtables and I've visited with small business owners that have migrated the legal way. And they are very, very concerned about what is going on. And they tell me – we did it the right way. We need folks to do it the right way. The Hispanic vote, when they're they're educated on what's going on on the southern border, they are more conservative voters. They do tend to come more to our side. So I don't know what the Democrats are thinking. Um, this is a, a humanitarian crisis. Hispanic voters that are legal voters in the United States, they don't like what they see. Right. I, I want to talk about politics because you also want to make – you're trying to raise money uh, for the senatorial run, for the Republicans. Absolutely. You're being outraised. Yes, we are. We are. We are being outraised. And the Democrats are very good about this. And their spin, their messaging, um, they're focusing on the issues that um, maybe don't apply to everyday life. They're not the kitchen table issues, but they're raising money. And so I have a website now that I have started, and it will be distributed to our Senate candidates, our Republican candidates. And it's redwavesenate.com, redwavesenate.com. Dot com And you can go there and make a donation, and it will go to help those great candidates we have running in a lot of these tight races. Um, my senior senator, Chuck Grassley, he's going to win. We heard it straight out of Chuck Schumer's mouth the other day um, in a conversation in a restaurant. Uh, so we know he's doing great. But we've got a lot of other races out there. Adam Laxalt, Nevada, Herschel Walker down in Georgia, Tiffany Smiley up in Washington State. A lot of great, great candidates. Well, Mitch McConnell doesn't think so, and Rick Scott does. How does the friction at the top hurting you guys? Well, I don't. I don't like it when we argue over uh, those issues, and it's it's fundraising issues and otherwise. Yeah, but for but, Mitch McConnell to come out and say, "Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go," shouldn't he be a leader well, in that? And that's what frustrated Rick Scott. Well, I will say that um, I truly believe that we can get the Senate, and that is my message: is that we do have good candidates, and we have candidates that are very concerned about the direction of our nation. Um, when you look at those kitchen table issues, the inflation, the fuel price. Crisis, uh, a weakened military, our southern border, crime coming up in our communities. All of these issues are happening because of Democratic leadership. We need Republicans to take back the House and the Senate. We are going to do that this fall. So I want you to hear uh, John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, had a stroke. Uh, and clearly he's not up for the job. He To do a debate, he needs closed captioning. 
And as I brought up yesterday, if something, if I had a stroke and even though I got the best management in the world, I wouldn't be able to do this job if I could not speak. Listen to him. Cut 22. It's such the most important race for the Senate here for 22. We have to replace Pat Toomey. Oh, no, no. Senator Toomey was not very nice to me. He, Pat Toomey is a miracle. He had a chance, he had a chance to match me up again. Uh, okay, uh, what, what is he I, talking about? I have no idea where that match conversation me up again, I guess he, was going. Right, but I mean, th- he's he can't debate. He said he needs closed captioning and he needs to go through a sample debate with the moderator before doing one debate October 25th. I mean, no offense, but that just said... If you this is a job interview, if you can't do the job, you can't do the job. Right. And there are extreme rigors and stresses in the United States Senate. A debate should Travel be a, abroad, you a, be in two places yes, at once. Make decisions um, that are well educated, well informed. Um, you're on the go all the time. If you're truly representing the people of your state, you have to be engaged. A debate should be a walk in the park. It right. should be. So you have a situation where you have a candidate who's against fracking running in Pennsylvania, you know, a candidate that wants to let one-third of the pr- minimum, one-third of all prisoners out, has expressed nothing but a like and, um, and admiration for Bernie Sanders. So in Pennsylvania, which is purple, to me, I don't see him profiling as somebody they would go for. I could see him in New York. I can see him in California. But if he's able to, if people are able to expose his agenda, I don't understand how he's leading by about four or five points. Right, exactly. And the folks in Pennsylvania um, are wonderful, hardworking Americans. You know, they have a great industrial base. I'm familiar with their ag base. They've got dairies. They've got, you know, just tremendous people out there. And I can't imagine that they would subscribe to the level of socialism that's being pushed by the Democratic Party and their candidate in Pennsylvania. Um, We should be about equal opportunity, not equal outcome. And it seems that that's what uh, Mr. Fetterman is striving for. Senator Joni Ernst is going to be here. She's also got the military background, great foreign policy knowledge. She's been over in the Ukraine, right, Poland? Um, Ukraine. Ukraine. Um, So I've spent time in Ukraine, but I took a CODEL, a congressional delegation of bipartisan to Poland and Germany mm-hmm. just a few months ago to so witness get, what was going on. And I want to get uh, your take on what's happening because things have turned around dramatically. Will it last? Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Joni Ernst sticks around. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. They don't fight combined arms well. We in the American Army do. They have disparate units. They're small units. They're not well led. They don't have the senior leadership we have in the American Army. Everything you look at about the Russian Army is flawed. And the Ukrainians have taken advantage of that. I mean, this is truly a paper tiger. I hate to say this. I'm probably insulting some people when I say it. Russia's turning out to be Belgium with nuclear weapons. That is uh, General uh, Keith Kellogg, who's been right so much along the way. And what he said is, we did not get Ukraine ready to fight. We thought it was going to fall in a week. And now we're scrambling to get them arms. Why are we doing it little by little? He also went on to say he doesn't think the U.S. is committed to letting Ukraine win, which I found stunning. Senator Joni Ernst on the Armed Services Committee, small business, also a veteran, centers in, in our studio. Your reaction to what the general said and what his assessment is? Yes, General Keith Kellogg is Smart spot guy. on. Spot on. I had the, the pleasure of seeing him the other day. We were celebrating the second anniversary of the Abraham Accords, another huge, huge um, step forward for the Middle East. But uh, yes, he's spot on when he is talking about Russia and their lack of leadership. Their leadership is driven from the very top, the generals at the top. And if you take those generals out, then those younger officers and the non-commissioned officers within the Russian army, they don't know strategy. They don't know what to do next. They just know brutality. They just know brutality. And unfortunately for them and good for the Ukrainians is that they've got these conscripts that um, don't want to fight, don't know why they're fighting. They're afraid. They're not taught properly. So the Ukrainians very definitely have the edge here. They can win. I feel that they have got the will to win, the will to fight until the very last. But, but man Senator, and woman. you brought up that we knew this invasion was going to happen, knew it was and coming. we did not get them ready for it. We we are so-called experts that told us Afghanistan's government would stand, and that they got the finest for, uh, trained army in the one of the finest in the world, and we're so wrong there. Said this was going to end quick, and now we're scrambling to arm them. Shouldn't we just get them all, everything at once, and let them fight? Why do they have to keep? Uh, why are we doing it in drips and drabs? You're a military person. You know that that's harmful. Yeah, piecemealing it out, um, and it is in drips and drabs. And while we are doing much better in getting the supplies they need, um, it's not enough. I still think we need to push more to the Ukrainians and get them what they need. And, of course, those those munitions that can do very specific targeting, I think that's important. The Russians are down to using just dumb bombs. I mean, they're dumb bombing. All these Which is scary because that means they kill women and they children. They kill civilians, and it's it's a desperate move by the Russians. But if we can provide them the the pre, uh, proper targeting mechanisms, the munitions to actually go in and kill the leadership, take them out, um, the Ukrainians can do that. President Zelensky says this ends in Crimea, where it started in 2014. Can they actually push all the way into Crimea? I think they could push into Crimea. Um, I think the attitude in the rest of Ukraine is very different than maybe what we've experienced in Crimea. I would love to see the You mean Ukrainians. there's a lot of Russian pro-Russians There's a lot of pro-Russians in Crimea, but I do think that uh, there is opportunity, and the Ukrainians should exploit where they can exploit. If we can get Russians out of Crimea, praise the Lord. What about Mykolaiv? Um, I do worry about that. Um, We'll talk more about that another time. But I certainly hope that we can keep pushing them to the east. And I hope to get the people in Ukraine that were kidnapped and brought into Russia, the ones that are being tortured, get them back. Get them back. Glory to Ukraine. Right. Senator Joni Ernst, thank you.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to criticize the Biden government in this. It, they took their time getting it to him. They did it in piecemeal. Those systems are using like HIMARS and multiple long-range long rocket systems. Those are critical to the fight. We developed that program years ago. We call it Assault Breaker. It was designed to fight the Warsaw Pact in the Soviet Union and to defeat those, organ- to defeat those elements. We've piecemealed them out to them. We should have given them all that stuff up early. There's an MLRS brigade sitting in Europe. Give them everything they need to fight. Don't piecemeal it out because you don't husband artillery. You don't give it to them a little bit at a time. If they do that and they give them a lot more artillery support and they give them some air support, that will give the Ukrainians the ability to fight. So that was uh, Lieutenant General Kellogg who thought this was definitely worth the fight and could not believe that the administration was looking at intelligence that he saw when he left because he was working for the president at the time, President Trump. Uh, and they still were not arming the Ukrainians in a sense that they couldn't win and Kiev would fall. And Zelensky famously was offered a ride out and he said, no, I want weapons. And obviously it was a good move and he was right. They're making tremendous progress now. A man that knows all about the battlefield uh, served himself. Now working in Washington, Lucas Tomlinson uh, joins us. Hey, Lucas, welcome. Brian, thanks for joining me. So can you believe if I went to you in April and I said, hey, by September, the Ukrainians would be on the march, would reclaim 3,000 square miles of their uh, of their stolen land and would have the Russians throwing off their uniforms, uh, trying to run for their lives while leaving their equipment behind. What would you have said to me? That's uh, pretty incredible, Brian. And, and going back to what General Kellogg said when he talked about piecemeal, recall that for two months the Biden administration – denied those HIMARS, those satellite-guided rocket launchers, to the Ukrainians. So for months, the Ukrainians were begging for some of those weapons. So if you were to say now, uh, you know, everything we know, uh, over six months in this war, that the uh, Russians would be getting beat this badly, I would say it's absolutely incredible. And I think by all measures, it's incredible. However, it is important to realize the Russians still hold about 20 percent of Ukraine, an area about the size of Mississippi. The land bridge that Vladimir Putin wanted from eastern Ukraine down to Crimea, that's still intact. Mariupol, the large coastal city about the size of Miami, that is still in Russian hands. But how long? We'll see. But certainly there's been tremendous gains on the battlefield for the Ukrainian forces. So they say, uh, does Zelensky, this war ends in Crimea. And in the beginning, they thought, well, that's good. That's inspirational. But he was just in the front lines. Do you doubt him? I mean, that is what the Ukrainians want. And and frankly, it's what the new British prime minister, Liz Truss, wants. She made a speech when she was foreign secretary during the spring where she said the stated goal for the British is to kick Russia out of the, quote, whole of Ukraine. It's hawkish language you don't hear out of the White House, Brian. Okay, you do not hear President Biden uh, and his top aides talk about defeating Russia. They talk more about supporting Ukraine. There's a big difference. You know, you're a big sports fan, right? You know, the, 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 the Giants, you know, they, they tell the team, guys, don't lose today. No, you say, we're going to go win. Here's the game plan. Okay. And by the way, nice win for the Giants. But we segue uh, from week one. But uh, that, the goal is to win in war. And there are certainly times from officials I've spoken to, uh, including lawmakers on the ground who passed through, Congressman Mike Waltz, who doubt some of the resolve coming from Washington. Yes, the weapons are great. There's been about $15 billion to date. In fact, uh, late last night, the Biden administration announced another $600 million in weapons, uh, tens of thousands of 155 rounds. We're talking about artillery. 
uh, more HIMARS rounds, also some of the GPS-guided artillery rounds. This is all good. Just remember, the Russians, uh, while they are struggling, you know, they have you know, World War III stockpiles. Yes, they're going to North Korea uh, try to get more rounds, and that's certainly concerning for them. And there's talk about uh, this whole thing imploding. However, you know, as journalists, we just have to keep score. We have to see where things are going. And while there's been some tremendous gains in the battlefield, you know, the Russians still control 20 percent of the country, including uh, trillions in dollars in minerals uh, in the east, in the Donbass. And remember, that's their coal country. That's their rust belt. Uh, and that's that's still uh, concerning. Yeah, I, I guess they got to start making some progress and see if the Russians are willing to fight. And I hear the Chechnyans are out there just trying to recruit on their own because Vladimir Putin will not put out a draft because he thinks he'll lose public sentiment if they do. They also were told that don't recruit from Moscow because I guess that's where the right rich Russians are. So don't get the rich kids. Don't lose that's their right. support. So at one point, it's not wor- it's not working for them. They don't have enough people. They certainly don't have enough experience. Well, Brian, remember, during World War II, you know, the Russians lost, the Soviet Union lost over 20 million in that war fighting the Nazis. And so uh, when it comes to appetite for casualties, it's very apparent that Putin has a tremendous appetite. So what's most concerning uh, officials in the West is how far Putin's going to go. You're right. They're not recruiting from the University of Moscow or from, uh, you know, St. Petersburg. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ethnic minorities, Tibians from eastern Siberia, okay, that are fighting these wars. Uh, and that, you know, they're being mowed down like cannon fodder. But you're right, we're not seeing uh, a large track. We're not even hearing Vladimir Putin calling this a war. It's still technically a special military operation. He wants to keep public sentiment. One of the things that's very concerned for officials in the West, frankly, is just the support that Putin does have for this war inside his own country. And when it comes to the sanctions, yes, they have hurt the Russians, but it's, it's also very concerning that when you look at the price of oil, the price of fuel, who benefits uh, Vladimir Putin is making a lot of money, hundreds of billions of dollars, okay, off oil exports. And that is very, very concerning. And countries like India, to some extent Turkey, of course China, are reaping uh, that because they are increasing their uh, oil supplies. And so Putin is finding clients, customers for that oil. And of course, that's where half his revenue comes from, his oil and other energy products like natural gas. Yeah, the sanctions have not worked there. And the, the, the Western, uh, Western Europeans are really uh, not looking forward to the winter. I want to talk about something else. Uh, outside inflation and now immigration, the one issue that I think consumes most uh, kitchen tables is crime. Uh, I don't care how old you are. If you're old, you're a victim. Uh, if you're in the prime of your life, you could be carjacked. You're doing a story today looking at our nation's capital, even in the fine areas of Washington. And there are some brutal areas of Washington. Carjacking is booming. The same thing in New York was being terrorized by a group of homeless people on the west side, uh, on the west side, a beautiful area of Manhattan. What is going on with crime in America, even in Beverly Hills, we see uh, this happening. How concerning is it to you, did you find in doing this story? Brian, for the last day and a half, I've been scouring different neighborhoods in Washington, including going to the Beverly Hills of our nation's capital, and that's Georgetown. And you know what I saw, Brian? I saw businesses that keep their doors locked during the middle of the day, especially eyewear. Doors were locked, appointment only. I mean, this is not a third world country. This is Georgetown. This is Wisconsin Avenue. One store I visited the bandits ran off with over $100,000 worth of merchandise, broad daylight. 
A lot of people are scared. Carjackings, you just mentioned them, Brian, up 75%. A member of the Washington Commanders, rookie football player, running back, Brian Robinson, third-round pick in last year's draft out of Alabama. He's going to get a lot of playing time this first few weeks of the season. He was shot twice in the leg on 8th Street. This is a, a neighborhood that uh, you know, a lot of money's been put into. There's, there's rail, there's shops. Uh, One-bedroom apartment along 8th Street Northeast goes for over $2,000 a month. Two-bedroom goes over $3,000 a month. These are high-rent areas, but all around are pretty rough rough neighborhoods. And when I spoke to, to locals, when I spoke to people on the streets, they're very concerned. They're very scared. I spoke to one woman with a small child says she's moving. She's so nervous. And she's from Brooklyn, Brian. I mean, she says, listen, I'm supposed to be used to crime, used to this. I don't feel comfortable here. I'm out of here. And again, that's 8th Street in Northeast. This is supposed to be a hot new area. In fact, Mayor Bowser just two months ago highlighted that corridor. They call it the 8th Street Corridor as a place they want to reduce gun violence. And then next thing you know, uh, a star running back for the commanders shot in the leg and is out to at least week five. It's pretty amazing, actually. Brian Robinson was on uh, the exercise bike and moving around. But I digress. It's very concerning, Brian. Everywhere I went, uh, people are nervous. They're scared. Uh, one businessman I, I interviewed, first of all, most of them didn't want to even talk, Brian, when I knocked on the door. They were scared. They did not want to talk. Even businesses that had been hit, hit hard, robbed thousands of dollars of merchandise, they didn't want to talk about what happened. Okay? I even witnessed a crime. I was standing across the street on M Street. And this is M Street, right? This is like the Broadway. What is the best description? M Street. Yeah, it's like being somewhere in like the West Village, okay? I'm on M Street or Soho. And across the street, I hear a security guard yelling at, at these two young girls. They leave. He's waving his baton. I go interview him. I'm like, what just happened? He goes, they rob this store every day. I'm like, wait, every day? And he's like, every day. These two women, they didn't even run out of the store, Brian. They weren't sprinting. They just walked out. How's he got in the car and drove out? Now, I bump into a, a group of police officers, and I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they said, Brian, it's not the police. They're making arrests. You talk to D.C. Police Chief Conti. They're, they're making They're arrests. out of way. Zero cash bail. It's the court system. They're getting – exactly. They're getting let off. A day later, they're back on the streets. It has the cops furious. Guys I interviewed were very angry. Thanks so much. Lucas, uh, best of luck. Stay safe. Thanks, Brian. Lucas Thompson uh, from Washington, one 408 I set the table with Senator Joni Ernst. We've talked about crime and punishment or lack thereof with Lucas Tomlinson. And we have a lot more to discuss when we get back. Feel free to get on the line. Uh, joining us here at one 408 And keep in mind, One Nation is just hours away. Uh, 8 o'clock Saturday night. And again, 11 o'clock Eastern time. You're going to love that show, too. Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. One of the worst things about Donald Trump is all his dummy mini-me's. He's, uh... All these elastic pants governors who are pulling their own little stunts to excite the stupid. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, was bragging today because he sent two planes full of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard 
This is a thing they're doing now. Guys like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott from Texas are using taxpayer money to ship these poor people looking for a better life to random places around the United States, and then they laugh about it. They think it's funny. One guy who's got a odd way of celebrating Hispanic heritage is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yesterday, DeSantis flew two planes of Hispanic immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Hey, Ron, if you're trying to discourage immigration, maybe don't send people to one of the loveliest parts of New England. <laughs> Just in time for leaf-keeping season. Of course, DeSantis wasn't sending these folks to the vineyard to have a good time. He was human trafficking these families as a political stunt. So that they don't even understand. He doesn't even understand enough to make it a joke. Does he even understand that they're mocking the fact that they're mocking 60 people coming but not 8,000? Oh, no. They leave all of that off the table and just make it sound like... They're just such, like, nitwits sending them up to Martha's Vineyard. It's such a beautiful place to go. Another part, um, Kimmel said, and guess what the people of Martha's Vineyard did? They fed them. They gave them a place to sleep like we should be doing. Everyone's applauding. Guess what? Does he even know what's going on in El Paso, Rio Grande Valley? Do what's happened with, they're all getting everything, but now they've only gotten, they've only gotten it from two states, Arizona and Texas, do they know that the president of the United States has been flying them into various states? You just heard Senator Jody Ernst say they found out that a plane landed in Iowa. The governor was never alerted. All these illegals came in, and they had to quick scramble to handle it. No one checked with them. But now you're upset that Governor DeSantis is doing it? Guess where he's going today? Going to dump a whole bunch in, in uh, Delaware. Nice. So he's going to do that. More than Martha's Vineyard, let you handle it. Because guess what? Now they got to have an emergency meeting about illegal immigration when normally they would just talk about white supremacy all day. So now, and how bad it is and how it's the number one threat in America, we are pretty much against white supremacy, but I'm not pretending like it should be a top 10 issue in our country because it's not. Uh, it is not 1920. Uh, but meanwhile, the president today, this morning, is having an emergency meeting to talk about litigation options in response to what the GOP governors are doing. So instead of actually solving the problem, you want to sue back. So I love this, though. This heartened me. This was an unnamed administration official. This should not be about political stunts. It should be about the whole of government and get uh, how— it should be about how the whole of government gets 8,500 counters a day down. That according to Axios. Of course, we don't have that person's name because they probably wouldn't be working anymore. But that's it. And I, I'm sure if we were listening in the meeting, at some point they got to say, Mr. President, every single port of entry is overwhelmed. This whole border is being blitzed in a way we've never seen before. These people are waltzing right in, and they're not being sent back. They're being given bracelets and times to appear, and only they're only coming back at a clip of 30%. At one point, does anyone level with the 80-year-old and just say how bad this is? I mean, that to me is just unbelievable. And when this is what caused it, in my view. This was the breaking point. Over the weekend, Kamala Harris on Meet the Press and just about everywhere else. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. Why does she keep saying that? And I could play uh, KGP saying the same thing. There was no deterioration. A wall was built up. These nations were threatened. They were incentivized to keep their people home. 
that was said, if we're going to give you money, give you weight, we're going to target it to the actual people so you guys don't end up, you leaders end up putting in your pockets. Real relationships were forged with the previous administration. You may not like a lot what President Trump did, but this is pretty much airtight, like the Abraham Accords. Now they're just saying, again, divorce from reality, I inherited a broken system. Yeah, the system needs to be updated, absolutely. A way to keep those superstars in Stanford here. A way to get work visas easier for people to fill these jobs, the 11 million jobs that are open, absolutely. But you can't do one without border security. And the border was light years more secure back then. And shipping these uh, these immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, Delaware eventually, to New York, to Chicago, and to Vladimir, and to the vice president's house is a way to say, pay attention. Fix this problem. This will not be ignored. If the Republicans don't win the House and Senate, that's saying this is okay. And please spot an American that's not so dug in politically to understand that, to think that this is a good move. Marco Rubio is in a tough fight. He sees what his governor's doing. Cut 12. If a migrant voluntarily offers to go to another part of the country, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a state to assist them in that so that, you know, these places that claim to be sanctuary cities and whose leaders oppose every immigration enforcement measure out there share in the burden. Why not? Now, some people say, well, I thought I was going to Boston. I end up in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, my, my eyes are weeping for you. Meanwhile, the situation in El Paso, as well as the overall surge in Venezuela, is overwhelming. Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans are at the border. Now, they're all communist countries re- led by brutal dictators. Got it? Understood. They're all a mess. Correct. They're probably really fine people. So what have we done to pressure those governments to get China, Cuba, and Russia out of our hemisphere that are causing so much unrest and robbing people of their, of their livelihoods and lives in many cases that are forcing this, this migration our direction? What special provisions are being done? Nothing. They're just coming to a border because it is open. But those three things, those countries have one thing in common. Horrible communist country leaders are controlling that country. We've done nothing internationally, we've done nothing in our hemisphere, and we've done nothing at the border. Now they're upset that everyone's sharing in the burden. I hope we understand the reality here. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's true. I mean, Carl Rove is 100% right. And what is going on with my self-esteem? It is dropping. I have to have an emergency meeting with Anthony Robbins or somebody uh, that he trained. Uh, It does sound like that. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Jonathan Swan, one of the most insightful and and energetic reporters and dogged reporters in the country uh, at the bottom of the hour. And Geraldo Rivera is standing by. Uh, he is all dressed up because he is uh, was on Fox and Friends this morning. I think he's going to wear the same outfit for the five. I, I'll find out in a matter. I'll break that story right here. But let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. This is definitely a win for President Trump and a loss for the Justice Department. No one should be surprised that this judge in Florida, Judge Cannon, decided not to reverse her earlier order to appoint a special master. Uh, That is so true. Uh, That is uh, the truth about Trump, his temporary legal victory. John, you were just talking about his power in the party and what the polls say about his popularity leading into the midterms. Number two. Democrats are talking about abortion because they can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about schools. They can't talk about crime because it's a horrible issue for them. They can't talk about a secure border because it's a horrible issue. Yeah, Senator Rick Scott on why abortion front and center for Democrats. 2022, Schumer uh, was caught telling the truth in a conversation in Washington, D.C., stuff that we were not supposed to hear. What he said, I think, says a lot about the midterms and the truth behind the left push to take back the House. Not going to happen. Number one. I think this is just political theater. Treating people like political pawns. A lot of them didn't know where they were going. And when they landed, didn't know where they were and just kind of walked into town. And the good people of Martha's Vineyard have wrapped. These are people you're playing with. (laughs) Yeah, the same people. 8,500 a day. You don't care about them. You only care about it when they go to the nice area of New England. Deal with it. Fed up Republican governors desperate to get the government to act or pay attention as the illegals are flooding this country, invading this country in bright blue. They finally get a taste of it in bright blue liberal sanctuary enclaves, and they don't like it. With me right now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, this was a desperate act uh, by a bunch of people who are concerned about their state and concerned that they're being illegal immigrants are storming the border at a rate that you never even thought possible. Am I correct? Well, I think that Fox particularly has done a great job in presenting to the American people the true scope of this problem. I think that that is definitely true. The drone footage that uh, they've been shooting down there, Bill Mnuchin and the other correspondents, is really amazing reporters. undeniable now. It's undeniable. So uh, right now with this situation, the president of the United States said this about what's happening at the border. Cut one. We're committed to fixing the immigration system instead of working with us on solutions. Republicans are playing politics with human beings, using them as props. What they're doing is simply wrong. It's un-American. It's reckless. Now, is he telling the whole story? Well, what he's not saying is his responsibility for the current emergency. That is not to say, Brian, that I think that what uh, uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott did or, or are doing is appropriate. I think they clearly got our attention. It was a stunt, a political stunt that uh, that worked. It's, uh, it's on the front page. Uh, it's leading every newscast. Now it is undeniable the scope of the problem. They have presented it in a way they that uh, they thought would belie the liberal creed that these people would take care of the migrants. I think unfortunate for Abbott and DeSantis, the people of Martha's Vineyard are rallying to the uh, to the 50 or so who have already landed there. Oh, I think that's good. I do too, and that's uh, it's good. Let let uh, yep. you know Martha's Vineyard of all places is uh, it's a fine demonstration. But, you know, when you're using human beings and it is using them as props, there is a seedy aspect to it that is undeniable, Brian. Well, um, 
Get, get, I cannot wait for them to get to the next 60, and then the next 60, and the next 60, because I believe the people of Martha's Vineyard should be treated like the people of El Paso. And those people of El Paso have their, have their lives destroyed. They're afraid to go out at night. They have their, their property why not ransacked. Your, why not your neighborhood in Massapequa, though, Brian? Because why what did I do gonna, wrong? I'm punish, all for it. If uh, jurisdictions that you are, uh, you know, you feel that you have some leverage with, then, uh, you know, use these migrants as your weapon uh, willy-nilly. Wherever no, I, I care I about illegal immigration. Dangerous. I care about illegal immigration. I think it's a huge problem. They don't. They have no problem with Texas being destroyed. And Arizona being invaded. And New Mexico, if they get a Republican governor, you'll get that real story. And Texas can be taken over and invaded, excuse me, California, and because they have a Repo- Democratic administration. But it's destroying, their, it's destroying their lives and their livelihoods. And the Hispanic vote, Geraldo, is going to Republicans. I never thought it was going to happen. It's almost 50-50. Well, you should have read my book, His Panic, where I obviously predicted that, uh, as Ronald Reagan said, Hispanics are naturally Republicans. They may not know it yet. They're very entrepreneurial. That's the thing. The irony of this crew of uh, of migrants, how, however they got here, however legally or not legally, they, they un, uh, unle- uh, dis- whatever, uh, illegally they got here. The fact of the matter is they are, uh, uh, they've got ambition. They've got grit. Uh, the vast majority of them are hard working or just want uh, you know a, a payday for an honest day's work uh, which they could not get in the, in their nation whether it's Venezuela or Mexico or uh, Guatemala or any of the other central american countries Nicaragua Cuba uh you know these are these are people living in oppressive conditions who uh you know uh, are highly motivated so, so let's take it a bigger picture that i think you would definitely embrace Nicaragua's been taken over by a brutal dictator. Venezuela, a brutal dictator. Cuba is an absolute communist mess. What have we done in our own hemisphere? What is the strategy to help those people? And I do believe there should be uh, exceptional uh, asylum requests for Nicaragua, for Venezuela, and Cuba in an organized way. And then you explain to the people at the border what's going on, and this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be sealing that border. We're going to find a way to save these people, often the hardest working, the most grateful, that would come here. But what kind of pressure are we putting on that regime, on China and Cuba and Russia, to get the hell out of here and stop, uh, stop propping up these lunatics? All excellent questions and, uh, and presented uh, with righteous indignation as they should be. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, we have been dealing with communists in Cuba for decades. Uh, C- Cubans have been fleeing the uh, the island uh, communist uh, dictatorship. They have been arriving on the shores of Miami uh, s- since uh, 1960. Uh, Miami has been, or Florida writ large, has been changed by their their presence, and for the better. Uh, you know they've been uh, they've come and they've become uh, you know the ancestors of Marco Rubio and uh, and Ted Cruz and and so many others that have come into positions of uh, of prominence in the United States. They you know the. the I think that there's a we are on the same side, Brian. No, we we are. want we want an organization. We want a, a, you know a, a system, uh, but it's very difficult when you have 
literally billions of people who want to come to America because America is the land of opportunity. We could put every one of them to work. Russia is losing population. Russia, as a result, Japan, is, like a, is an empty, an empty uh, shell compared to what it, it should be, 190 million people uh, or even less than that in a nation that size. Uh, soon they're going to be having to shout across the door to say hello to each other. Right. So um, I, I think we agree uh, on that. Absolutely. 11 million open jobs. Uh, the the first round draft picks that were training in Stanford. Why are we t- sending them back to Burma and, right. uh, and, and India when they want to stay here? There should be a right. pathways. Uh, but, but as soon as you get security, then we're in. Game on. But when you have 8,500 a day, and you and I've only been down there a handful of times, and I can't stop thinking about it. I actually had for a couple of weeks, I could not stop thinking about these poor people. I got to leave, and I'm talking about Border Patrol. While I'm doing stand-ups, people are streaming forward, and they're stopping me in the middle of my interviews to put people in their truck. And the guys that we're interviewing normally were in the office, but they're so strung out and short of people, they had to leave the office and help out. And I think about those three shoots that I was on. I can't imagine doing that every day and then having people say it's no big deal. And I want you to hear what Kamala Harris said on week. This was the breaking point. Cut four. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. <laughs> that last line is comical. It uh, is, and it's it's so it's silly and, and so, you know, belied by fact. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, the the real fact, and you alluded to it earlier in your show, Brian, is that no one is suggesting what to do about it. It's one thing for a governor to make a you know a, a big splash by sending migrants to um, Martha's Vineyard of all places, but it's quite another thing to suggest. All right, this is what we're going to do. We are going to uh, impose on Mexico stringent trade uh, restrictions uh, because they are allowing these people to walk across their territory unimpeded. Uh, so we'll get Mexico involved. We'll enforce. E- verify where you cannot hire these people. We'll build the fence here, there, elsewhere. The fact of the matter is it is an extremely difficult problem that really requires the best American minds, Republican and Democrat, red and blue, to say, okay, what are we going to do? We have a nation, as you said, with 11 million open jobs right now. These people can flow right in. They could be the babysitters and the lawnmowers and the poultry processors and the meat packers and the and the farm workers and the this and the that and the and other. The next thing. generation CEOs, Geraldo, but next, everything and, you and said, then, and, and every president, and maybe president. But, but, but Geraldo, you, you know there? it better than me. You now? know this better than me. When you there's the message that ripples through Central and South America that the border, yeah, guys, it's not time to go. It's going to be really tough. Twenty thousand Mexican Marines are there, and they're sending us back. Yeah, this uh, Remain in Mexico policy. I'm gonna, I don't. You're gonna end up sitting in Mexico forever. Yeah, you'll get through if you have to at night at certain times. But when they catch you, they send you back, and then that that becomes. And then all of a sudden they go, wait a second. The consulate's expanded in El Salvador. The consulate got expanded in Nicaragua. I see commercials on television saying if you can eliminate yourself from ever being allowed in. If if you sneak in and are caught. So then at the same time, I would never, if I was Secretary of State, you'd never find me in the country. I would be spending all my time down there with my assistant talking to these governments 
and saying, what do we need to get you guys to crack down on your own border? And when I give you aid, it's got to go to the right people. And I'm going to put somebody in charge of Honduras aid to make sure it just doesn't go into the coffers of the government. And then what you do is a series of things comes happen and it gets under control. And you remember this. Abrador, the president of Mexico, was the last one to recognize that Biden won the election. This socialist loved Trump. And if Trump was such a horrible person to the Mexicans, why was it that their government actually was cooperating with us at the end? Final thought? My final thought is people have to work together. Uh, uh, Trump did a better job than Biden on the border. Biden's uh, open heart and compassion has had exactly the uh, the worst possible impact. It has encouraged uh, and made ex- the problem exacerbated the problem. Uh, but uh, you know, unless there is true uh, recognition, that is, I mean, as you spelled it out, it just sounds like a massive, massive effort. We really have to recognize that the problem is a massive problem before you really get Americans motivated uh, to fix it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Geraldo, always great to talk to you. Congratulations you on the too, success bud. of the five. Thank you. You got Thank it. one 866 408 I got uh, – all right. So I'm going to be able to take calls when we get back. Also, at the bottom of the hour, Jonathan Swan, last time I was communicating with him, he went to the last Trump rally. What he said about that rally and what it means for Donald Trump's fortunes, I think you'll find fascinating if you keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think this is just political theater. Treating people like political pawns. A lot of them didn't know where they were going, and when they landed, didn't know where they were, and just kind of walked into town, and the good people of Martha's Vineyard have wrapped. These are people you're playing with. These are real, live people with children and older people, and, you know, we can work it out, but if you're going to be a bonehead, who wants to play with you? Really? Uh, When are you going to work it out exactly? What, What is a bonehead? Why don't you go down to Texas and see... 8,500 people stream through every day, and you're worried about 60 in a beautiful area of Martha's Vineyard might uh, might have not understand where to go on a beautiful, sunny spring day until people show up and give them new Nikes, Apple, uh, new iPhones, and a place to sleep? Do you understand what they're saying? Do they understand the reality at the border with the people of Texas and Arizona have to deal with? They're upset in New York City. They get 70 people come off a bus, 200 in a week. How about 8,000 a day? Dan Patrick, cut 16, the lieutenant governor. This is the, uh, the epitome of uh, elitism and uh, just a, a bunch of rich hypocrites up there on the island. Oh, woe is me. We had a couple of plane loads of people come into our neighborhood of $10 million houses. We have a housing shortage already. You know, Crimea River up there on the, the island. And the same thing for Chicago and New York and Washington. You mentioned Del Rio, Laura, not just in the last couple of months, but since Biden became president, we've had 400,000 people come into that sector of a city of 37,000. That would be like sending 80 million people to New York City, 10 times their population. Give us enough time and we'll send enough buses. Great analogy. And by the way, 
The governor's a communicator. I mean, he's from broadcasting. He owns uh, the, the affiliate KRIV that we are lucky enough to broadcast on in Houston. He's trying to communicate the idiocy. He understands all these mass media markets. He understands the mindset. They just don't understand reality. Now, small and big cities, the rich and the famous who know the difference, Barack Obama and the people around him understand what's happening at the border. They don't care. So they've been effectively able to ignore it. The president doesn't go. The vice president doesn't show. They never go to Central and South America, did a couple of Zoom calls. Now they have to talk about it. Now they're not talking about it in a comprehensive way. They're only talking about the 60 in Martha's Vineyard. And they're not talking about the thousands in El Paso, Rio Grande uh, Valley, the um, all this, uh, uh, the the all these border areas of Tucson, they're not talking about it in a holistic way. If they really cared, they'd go. And they said this is a problem. So they got their attention, but they're only halfway there. That's the problem. I think politically it's a good move, but it's also a desperate move. I really don't care that much about politics, maybe 10% of it. I want people to benefit from it. I want Henry Cuellar Uh, a Democrat to stand tall. Do you know the Democratic mayor of El Paso, also part of this busing and and the fights out? Because you're not a Democrat or Republican if your people are overrun, if your family is hindered, if you can't play your your soccer game over the weekend, if you're not allowed to go outside and, and go knock on your neighbor's door because it's too dangerous. If they're trampling in your backyard, if you're worried about your doors and lights, afraid to go away because your house is going to get invaded, that's the reality. You're not a Democrat or Republican. You're an American whose life has been curtailed because your federal government won't seal the border or even try. That makes it worse. Not trying. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, nothing's more of a driving and an uh, excitement factor like Donald Trump for Democrats, right? I mean, they love to be opposed to him because they are um, independents. Many are, don't want to see uh, another reign of Trump. And uh, the more he engages in the race, the more he puts himself out there, the more it's a reminder of what's at stake to people. And having Trump on the ballot is a hugely energizing factor in a lot of these races. And that's what they're trying to do, no doubt about it. And I don't think that's uh, news to anybody, especially Jen Psaki, who now is an MSNBC uh, contributor. She'll be asked a lot about it. I'm watching other shows. They're quickly talking about the special master with Donald Trump and not the other major stories in this country, including inflation. Jonathan Swan joins us now, national political correspondent at Axios. Uh, and he was also somebody that's at one of Donald Trump's most recent rallies and joins us now. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. How are you? Good, good. Uh, First off, um, no doubt about it, Donald Trump has got a series of legal challenges, probably like uh, uh, a blizzard of which I've never seen before in my life. But he did seem to have gotten uh, a break when it comes to this special master and this judge saying no more FBI, no more looking at this stuff until the special master says uh, what you can and can't see. That's That's a rare legal win for him, right? Yeah, and we shouldn't get sort of uh, we should overstate what this means. Uh, I, I talked to a number of conservative lawyers last night um, about this, and the consensus seems to be that it will delay somewhat um, the investigation, but probably will end up being somewhat of a blip. Um, the, the question that needs to be resolved is can a member of the executive branch or a former member of the executive branch, being the president, 
exert executive privilege against the executive branch. Uh, so, th I mean, that's the legal question. The judges kind of punted on that. So, um, we'll start, we'll find out. Um, Deary is a respected judge, um, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But um, I don't think that this is going to have a meaningful uh, impact on the ultimate result. Interesting, uh, because there's a sense that there's a lot of documents there that he didn't have. There's a sense that the judge, uh, a couple of his lawyers are signed off, said they gave everything up, correct? And he turned out he didn't, well, and well, now no, his no, lawyers no, could be in trouble? The, the basic legal question still, still needs to be resolved, which is can um, a former member of the executive branch exert executive privilege against the executive branch, which wants these documents, and, you know, there's not much precedent to support that interpretation. This could easily get reversed in the 11th Circuit. Um, so, again, it's just like this This will have a delaying effect, but um, we don't yet know uh, whether it will have any more than that, Be just sort of a delay in the process. You know, these, these big legal questions still need to get resolved, and they will get resolved. Um, it just might take a bit longer. So how about this, a Fox News poll? Uh, was it appropriate or not for the president to take those documents to Mar-a-Lago? Only 26 percent said it was appropriate. 56 percent, the FBI, uh, and, uh, 65 percent inappropriate. How about the search by the FBI? 56 percent said it was appropriate. Only 39 percent it didn't. That's basically the president's roughly his approval rating uh, right now. You do wonder in the big picture, regardless of how it turns out, why the president would want a headache like this. Because it's not like he wants to build a library. Uh I was talking to one of his um, former advisors about this, and they were just, and this is someone who still likes him and they've got no animus towards him at all. And they were just like, explain, they were like, why? Why? They, they sort of walked me through the process. Did you, whatever you think about the DOJ, whatever you think about the FBI, set that aside. <laughs> Last year, early on, they went to him and said, oh, you've got these documents, we want them back. You know, there's Classified documents and, and other doc government documents that belong to the government. There's no dispute about whether they belong to the government. It's a very fringe view that they don't. I mean, there's the Presidential Records Act. But he, his lawyers didn't contest that. Trump's lawyers said, yes, no, you're right, ultimately. You're right. We'll, we'll give them back. Um, they didn't claim any of these documents were declassified. His lawyers didn't in their attestations. And then in January, they actually handed over 15 boxes. They said, here's everything. Here's everything we've got. Here's all the classified documents that are there. Then they do more interviews. They find out, oh, actually, no, a truthful representation. He still has more documents, more classified documents. So they go back again and ask for more, and they say, you know, we think you've got more, and, they, you know, there's a bit of a back and forth. And then they, they actually get a grand jury subpoena. And, and, and Jay Bratt goes and visits Mar-a-Lago in June, meets with Trump's lawyers, Evan Corcoran and, and Christina Bob, and they say, this time, here's everything. Eleven more boxes, you know, with dozens of classified documents. This is all. This is it. And and we're so confident it's it. We've done this big search. We'll sign off. We'll do an attestation. This is absolutely everything. I swear, Christina Bob's signature. And it wasn't everything. They still had more. It's like why? <laughs> why? This is what this person. I'm just channeling this person to me. They're like, for, for for what possible plausible reason? Why don't you just? Give everything back. Do a proper sense. Like, why put yourself through this stupidity? Um, so, you know, th there's a lot of frustration, even from people who are advisors of Trump, former advisors, people who actually want him to be successful. And they just, like, it drives them nuts. Setting aside 
whatever you think about how the FBI has conducted itself over the last six years, in this in this narrow circumstance, uh, sort of at their wit's end, basically. A couple of things. Number one, how does that meld in with the fact that Jay Brad or one of his uh, one of his colleagues said, "Put a lock on that door till until uh, we get through it and I get back here." How does that? Well, how does that gel with the story? They never put it in. Said that. No, 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 no. That's not in the, that, that. That was misreported about this padlock thing. That, I think that's how the Trump people interpreted it. But what they said was, we believe these documents are still. There's no secure space in Mar-a-Lago for these documents. You still have these documents. So, but we need you to take whatever precautions you can right now. Basically, again, if you read what what they actually sent to them in the letter, you would you would be of the view of we really should just give everything back very quickly. Like they're basically saying you have stuff you shouldn't have in an insecure location in a, in a country club, in a private country club. Um, so this whole thing about them asking them to put a padlock on the door, that never happened. That wasn't a thing that was requested. Interesting. Uh, you went ahead. So, uh, so we'll see where this goes. Number one, for now on, when a president leaves, it should be very easy to set up a system. I can't believe there is none. Uh, guys, what documents you want? We're going to screen them. Give us a week. Come back. These are the ones we get. Okay, the lawyer just said, we want these. Okay, uh, we're going to need copies of them. I thought everything was electronic anyway these days. Um, boy, am I mistaken. I guess cybersecurity is one of the reasons. And the, number two is there should be a, a tight checklist. The president clearly wasn't sneaking it out. We see these, these interns in suits standing by a chopper with cardboard files. So, I mean, if you're sneaking it out, you're the worst crook ever. Well, it, it, there is a system, but um, it's not – I mean, when you're the president, you don't uh, – a lot of things are at your discretion about process and things like that. And what I do know about the final days of the Trump White House is they were very chaotic, and staff were actually very reticent about doing a normal packing-up process because Trump didn't want you know, there to be the appearance that he was conceding and leaving office and, and what have you. So all this stuff happened in the last two weeks, usually – you know, the election happens and the process begins. This was not a normal right. uh, process for, for a lot of reasons. What's your takeaway from when you saw the president speaking Pennsylvania? Huge enthusiasm for him. I mean, it was a 10,000-seat arena. Uh, there's not another – I'm sorry, there, there just isn't. Whether you're a Ron DeSantis fan or a you know, Joe Biden fan, there's not another politician in the country that can fill a 10,000-seat arena like that and have it packed to the rafters like that. And there's just a lot of enthusiasm for him. Um, he, he has a huge base. He's got a strong base. And, again, you can, you know, it's just, it's just an objective statement of reality. You can think whatever you want about Donald Trump, but anyone who's actually looking at the situation realistically um, can see that the reason he, he still is ahead in the polls uh, among Republicans is because he has a very, very fired up and enthusiastic base, and they show up for him. They would walk over hot coals for him, and, and they're there. I mean, what was interesting to me at that rally was um, there was a huge amount of enthusiasm in that crowd for Doug Mastriano, the gubernatorial candidate. No, not much enthusiasm for Dr. Oz. I mean, they were politely sort of tolerating him and clapping, but ironically... Imagine a situation in which Oz actually benefits from Mastriano because I think the base does show up to the polls because of Mastriano. Um, and if Oz can get the sort of Pat Toomey suburban vote, um, once the base shows up and they have a bind, you know, they're there anyway. They've shown up. They've made the effort of going to vote. 
you have a binary choice between Dr. Oz and John uh, Fenneman, you, you know, you, you tick the Oz box, even though they're not doing it with a great amount of But yet Mastriano's so, trailing in almost every poll, Jonathan, right? Yeah, but, but, but that's a separate question. That's because he has no suburban support and whatever. So you can imagine a situation where they get fired up, they show up to the polls, and Mastriano loses, but he's, he's turned out the base, you know, to Oz's benefit. So, um, yeah, Mastriano has not managed to suburban women... Uh, in favour of him, he's got you know pretty weak support in the collar counties, um, but he does have a strong base. It may not be enough to win. In fact, the polls suggest it won't be enough to win. But what 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 you can be sure of is the base will show up and vote um, in Pennsylvania, which was Oz's biggest problem because the Republican base is not enthusiastic about Dr. Oz. Before I not. before I leave Trump. Do you believe yeah. um, if Trump runs, who else runs? Yeah. If if John, this why I know it's early. I know it's September 2022. Yeah. But if right yeah. now, if I said Jonathan, you may yeah. no prediction. Put it in an envelope, and if he declares, <laughs> who else? Who else yeah, runs? Yeah. What's going to be in that envelope? So, with the preface that this is without, I don't know for a fact that Ron DeSantis is running. He hasn't told me he's running. No one who works for him has told me he's running. Um, but I'm I'm watching him very closely, and everything I'm picking up uh, just from observing his behaviour, talking to people who advise him, uh, suggests to me that there's a very high likelihood that he runs, even if Trump runs, which I think Trump will run. I think there's a very good chance that Ron DeSantis takes him on. I think there's a very, very good chance that Mike Pence runs, um, based on conversations I've had with people around him. Um, I think there's a decent chance Mike Pompeo runs based on what he's saying publicly. I mean, he's not really making a secret about it. He's saying he's got a team in Iowa and he's not going to be influenced by who else is out there. I'm very confident Ted Cruz will not run if Trump runs, um, based on conversations I've had with um, certain people. And besides that, then I think you're getting into sort of, you know, I'm sure Chris Christie might run. I wouldn't be shocked if Liz Cheney runs, but... um, you know, I think most people view at this point um, the the Ron DeSantis question to be the most interesting, given he really has a huge amount of momentum um, and and popularity um, out there. So uh, that's the person I'm watching most closely. I don't think that's a kind of crazy thing. <laughs> I think everyone's sort of in the same boat on that. Gotcha. Uh, so, Jonathan, you write in with uh, with Josh Kroshauer, uh, who about what's going on right now. In terms of the midterms, the Democrats have benefited from the Dobbs decision. No question. You believe they're getting more money in there. And the economy, uh, you said inflation, the anger towards inflation has cooled somewhat. Where are we at right now heading into the midterms with, what are we looking at, six weeks to go? It's a very, very complicated picture, and I have great sympathy for anyone trying to make grand predictions about it. History tells you that Republicans are going to pick up you know, an average of 25 seats in the House, um, and the party out of power tends to do really well in these midterms. But there's a lot of ahistorical things happening, the Dobbs decision being the most obvious example. Um, there are a real big spike in um, female voter registration. Right now, if you ask most strategists, they would say the most likely scenario is Republicans take the House, um, and, and, and probably it's a, it's a jump ball in the Senate, but re- there is a very clear path for Republicans to take the Senate. But... Um, you know, Democrats have had a few lucky breaks with candidates, and they've certainly got a very strong money advantage. Um, so who knows in the Senate? Um, it's really probably coming down to three states right now, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Georgia. That's, the battlefield has really shrunk in the last few weeks. Most people, if you put truth serum in them on both sides, would tell you that 
Republicans are going to win Ohio. They think Republicans, I'm talking about both sides now, probably Republicans probably lose the Arizona Senate race. They probably win North Carolina. They probably lose New Hampshire. And so Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, everyone's focused at Republicans probably win Wisconsin. You know, both sides think at this point that Ron Johnson gets home in, in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, the Oz race, super important. The Herschel Walker race, super important. The Laxalt race, super, super important. Both sides, their energy is starting to focus more intensely on those three races. So, Jonathan Swan, our guest at Axios. Jonathan, you, you do write that there's a big push to get Donald Trump to send some of his, save some of his money. He's got $100 million. Yeah. And that yeah. he, he put fitting, together Oz on. and Blake Masters and Mastriano. Right. Where's the money behind it, right? That's right. No, Trump's sitting on $100 million. McConnell is desperate for him to spend it. Obviously, McConnell has no relationship with Trump and can't make that appeal directly, but he, he's been making that appeal indirectly through others. Um, there's no sign so far that Trump's going to do that. Um, he's sitting on the money. Most of the money that he's spent so far has been on these intra-Republican fights. You know, he spent $4 million or so trying to defeat Brian Kemp in Georgia. He spent a lot of money defeating Liz Cheney in her primary. So we're yet to see him put serious resources behind any of these vulnerable Republican Senate candidates Um and I don't know if he will or he won't, but it's getting it's getting awfully late um, in the in the day. Uh, I'm, I'm sure these people gave him money thinking he'd support those candidates. I mean that he's also being investigated as the president too for the, with, with the money he's collected and where it's going. Correct? Yes, the Save America Pack is is being investigated, and something like forty people have been subpoenaed. Um, I don't. It's not clear yet the nature of that investigation. So I think there's a lot we don't know, and there's been some very sort of um, creative and hyperbolic interpretations out there. So I, I think we'll wait and see what, what the case is there. But, um, yes, absolutely, the, the Save America Pact is being investigated and, and people associated with it. And the best thing you could do right now is maybe spend the money on the candidates and say, see, I told you, <laughs> but who knows? Uh, I, I've never seen Mitch, some... Mitch McConnell would agree with you. Mitch yeah. McConnell would agree with you. <laughs> right. Jonathan, I have about 5,000 more questions, but that's all the time we have. I uh, always love having you on, Jonathan. Continue success. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, with Axios, uh, Jonathan Swan. Man, the guy works hard. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be back with what you have to say next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 866 Let's keep it local. Uh, Alex, you're at WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. I think it's crazy that Joe Biden is saying that Republicans are using illegal immigrants as political pawns by sending them to Democratic states. Because it's not like Texas can handle all these illegal immigrants they have in their state now coming through the border. So it makes sense to divide these immigrants up across the country in different states. But the other thing is also, you know, these, these illegal immigrants that are being sent by Republicans are being are traveling in a very comfortable and safe fashion. So I, I think the real p- political pawn game is going on at the border where people are dying of being trafficked because the Biden administration is allowing them in here so that that way they can have more Democratic votes in the future. So that's where the political pawn game is going on. But, I also but, but to Alex, say let one, me just chime in that with the Hispanic vote going more and more towards Republicans, do you really think that is the big picture? But the people that are coming across the border are 
are not the people that are voting yet. So we didn't see the results of that. And I think Democrats really the Democrats wouldn't have allowed them in if they don't believe that they're going to get their vote in the future. All right. Thanks for the call, Alex. Always uh, good to have uh, somebody well thought out talk about an issue that matters so much. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation, Saturday, this Saturday, 8 o'clock and 11. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one of the final hours of the week. It has been an exciting week and appreciate you being there. Shannon Bream is going to be here. Uh, getting set to host Fox News Sunday, her second week. What a great debut. And bottom of the hour, Sandra Smith. I'll be joining her show, America Reports, in the 2 o'clock hour. Is that right, Allison? Do we have a time slot yet? In the 2. We don't know yet. I'll get. I'll, I'll update you in a moment. You're just going to find out where they need the highest ratings. That is what you bring. Right. Why did you not sound convincing when you said that? All right. So that, and of course, we got a big show, One Nation which uh, one of our local superstar hosts, uh, Sid Rosenberg, who dominates in the morning on WABC, is going to be one of my guests. He wrote a great book, and he's going to bring us inside what's happening uh, in New York. Right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is definitely a win for President Trump and a loss for the Justice Department. No one should be surprised that this judge in Florida, Judge Cannon, decided not to reverse her earlier order to appoint a special master. Uh, that is John Yu. Uh, truth about Trump, his temporary legal victory, his power in the party, and what the polls says about his popularity leading into the midterms. Number two. Democrats are talking about abortion because they can't talk about the economy. They can't talk about schools. They can't talk about crime because it's a horrible issue for them. They can't talk about the, a secure border because it's a horrible issue. And that is Rick Scott. Uh, he knows Democrats' the momentum is about abortion and not much else. 2022, Schumer caught telling the hard truth in a conversation overheard in a Washington, D.C. restaurant. I know, no joke about the truth about the House, about the Senate, about certain races and so much more. Also, how is it that the media is just covering for a clearly damaged um, John Fetterman? Is they going to do this again like they did with President Biden? Why? I don't think it'll work. Number one. I think this is just political theater. Treating people like political pawns. A lot of them didn't know where they were going. And when they landed, didn't know where they were and just kind of walked into town. And the good people of Martha's Vineyard. These are people you're playing with. Yeah, it is just sick. Insane. We're worried about 60 in one town. Martha's Vineyard. What about 7,000 overrunning a state? Deal with it. Fed up Republican governors desperate to get the government to act on our border is sending out the illegals from their towns to your town. The liberal sanctuary enclaves let the experience let them experience what Texas and let them what El Paso specifically is experiencing on a daily basis. The Biden administration can't ignore this any longer. Shannon Bream joins us now. Shannon, we've seen a lot of interesting stories uh, take twists we weren't expecting. What about this? Martha's Vineyard gets 60 and the whole town's aflame. Uh, 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 and then you have the vice president gets a drop-off point at her place. Griff Jenkins is there. They're not sure exactly where they are in Washington. But now the vice president just walks by reporters rather than answer the question. Are you surprised they can't handle this? 
Oh, man, it's not a good topic for them. Um, they're upside down on the polling when it comes to how the president is handling immigration. Of course, it is a monster of an assignment that has gone to the vice president. Um, she's supposed to be the border czar. And, you know, I don't think she spent much time down there. She takes a lot of heat for not having gotten any real progress. In fact, if anything, the numbers are getting worse. And that's not our numbers. Those are numbers that are coming from nonpartisan government agencies. And as our reporters note, um, and the government acknowledges, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people that are so-called, quote, gotaways, meaning we don't even have any record of them coming across the border. So when the vice president said last weekend that the border was secure, I think it invited a lot of what we're seeing this week uh, to remind the administration that's not exactly true. And there are plenty of Democrats who are saying that. It's not just Republicans. They really don't have a strong argument. You heard some of the outrage from the so-called people that said, wow, what's going on? Why are they sending people over? What is it like to be in El Paso, a Democratic mayor, right? And he's part of it. He's sending people down there. Uh, Henry Cuellar, a Democrat. The border is not mm-hmm. closed. And you, and you know the soundbite that's making uh, – that really caused Democrats, Republicans to act. Let's, let's listen. Cut four. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. Isn't that a comical deterioration of the last four years when President Trump was getting in trouble for being too tough at the border and threatening to send these illegals into sanctuary cities? But the legal division of the ICE told him ah, that might not be legal. Well, and if you just want to look at hard data, if you don't want to get into the argument over President Trump versus President Biden or anybody else, this is data that's coming in that showed us when President Trump first took office and was very hardcore, the numbers went down. People did not think it was a reality for them to get here. You heard Gref Jenkins, though, yesterday talking to people outside the vice president's residence here in D.C., saying it's open. Okay, maybe I'm not coming here completely legally, but essentially the border is open. I know that I can come here and go across. So if that's the message that people are getting because policies have changed, and you ask any of our Border Patrol agents and and folks who are working down there on the border, they can tell you the enormous difference in numbers under a president where people feel like, I'm probably going to get turned around and not get to stay versus um, a president or a vice president talking about mass amnesty and, you know, getting rid of Title 42 and all these other measures. I mean, it's just, it's hard data. Those are the numbers. Right. Um, So this has become the number one story. Here's the goal. The goal is to get people to talk about it. Can you imagine your house being constantly ransacked and you can't get cops to show? So what you do is maybe you light the house on fire in order to get cops to show up. So this is what, the pres- this is what these governors have done. Abbott, DeSantis, to a degree Ducey, have said, if you don't pay attention now, I'm sending him to your house. And he's doing it. Word is today, DeSantis is going to send some to Delaware. Well, that's been the question. Will they now start showing up um, in the president's? you know, home, his weekend retreat, um, and, and causing a stir there. So many of these places where these folks are being sent, and these are real human beings with families, with children, and we can't lose sight of that. These are real people. Um, But what's happening is many of them are being sent to places that are cities or states that have self-declared themselves to be sanctuaries. So if you mean that, then when people show up, it would seem that you would be equipped in some way to help these people and to walk them through the process. Um, But it it begs the question about whether people want to be sanctuary in name only or if they're willing to help people who show up. And some of them will say, listen, we are willing to help them, but we need a heads up. We need to know so we can coordinate and make sure there are people there to meet them, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but for a city like New York to absorb, you know, a few thousand compared to, as you talked about, these border towns um, that just don't have any of the, the tax infrastructure in the base to help these huge numbers of people, um, it's a conversation that, that is worth having. And we would note, doesn't matter if Republicans are in control of everything in Washington or Democrats are, they have not gotten this problem fixed. So let's see how Karine Jean-Pierre handles it. What is their policy and who's to blame? Cut five. Does the White House stand by those comments that the border is secure? What we stand by is that we are doing everything that we can uh, to make sure that um, uh, that we follow the process that's been put forth. That, that's why we have uh, historic funding uh, to do just that, to make sure that, um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, to make sure that, um, to make sure that uh, the folks that we encounter at the border be removed uh, or expelled. How'd she do? That was tough. And some people are going to say, like, you edited that, so she's falling all over the place. No, I think it's that tough of an issue for this administration. And like I said, even though the president is taking up a little bit and some of his approval ratings, not on immigration, he's still way underwater on that. And people do blame him ultimately at the end of the day for it. Uh, so we're looking at a few things going on. The president of the United States, uh, the former president of the United States, got a bit of a victory yesterday when a judge ruled you cannot FBI, DOJ, look through the stuff you took from the Mar-a-Lago compound until the special master rules. Can mm-hmm. you put make can you put that in 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 everyday ease? Yeah, you know, so the DOJ is pursuing what we think is a criminal investigation regarding uh, the former president, and basically they want the ability to use those documents. And this judge down in Florida has said, you can continue your investigations all you want, talk to people, do whatever. You cannot use these documents as part of the investigation until the special master goes through them. They're going to appeal that decision. They've already signaled they will, saying we want to be able to keep looking at classified documents and other things that we retrieved there. Um, It's amazing to me. It's a good sign that the two sides agreed on a special master. Um, So they've agreed on this person, this former federal judge, but at the same time, the government's still appealing the decision to even have this judge looking at some of this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the the president's hardly out of trouble. Now his super PAC is being investigated. You know, the Georgia investigation is happening. He offered a deal to Letitia James, and she in turn is suing him. How does an attorney general do an investigation, get an offer, and then decide to sue? I don't – can you tell me what's going on here? Well, I think, as we know, um, a lot of times state attorney generals um, are political. They have their own political ambitions, and I think that we've seen some evidence of that in New York, uh, a potential run for governor, those kinds of things. Um, And there have been a lot of promises made by the former president's critics, like, we're going to take him down, we're going to get him behind bars, all these things. So, you know, um, at least there is a conversation ongoing about trying to settle or resolve some of these cases. But, man, if you're the Trump legal team, you are very busy because you do have the state stuff, you've got the federal stuff, and you don't know what else is coming. The DOJ won't speak publicly, but we know all of these subpoenas that have gone out over the last few days to a lot of people in Trump world. Um, They'll maybe leak some information. That's how we get things to the New York Times and the Washington Post, but DOJ is not telling us anything on the record. So who are you having on this this weekend, Shannon? Well, I – oh, hold on a second. I'm waiting for an email that will allow me to tell you some of it, but I can tell you for sure we've got Senator Lindsey Graham on exclusively, um, raising a lot of eyebrows here this week in uh, Washington and beyond when he said – after he has argued that 
abortion is a state rights issue, and that's why Roe should be overturned, to now say, hey, I'm going to introduce a 15-week ban at the federal level. Um, and I even hear consternation from people within the pro-life community saying, well, like, yeah, we're going to support this. This is our life's work. This is what we do. But this is not – this issue does not pull well for Republicans in the midterm. So why now, in the middle of all that, has Senator Graham said, now's the time for a federal ban that I said we didn't need before? So I got a lot of questions for him. Can I offer one Please theory? Please do. My yeah. theory is that he said Republicans can't handle this question. They continue to get tripped up by it. So I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to tell everyone, let's make it a – I'm proposing 15 weeks. And then get behind mm-hmm. me, everybody. And at the same time – he did not know the economy was going to tank, the market was going to go through the floor, and the president was going to have James Taylor over to sing about something that was not this, nothing to sing about. So he overwhelmed that disaster, and he brought it front and center. But isn't it true that Republicans have not been able to handle that question? And is it true that 15 weeks was the compromise that John Roberts brought up? Well, and you think about the polling, too, out there on 15 weeks. Um, That does really well for pro-lifers when they say, okay, if we look at these different time frames, their argument is that unborn children can feel pain at that point and that you would use anesthesia to operate on them in utero, that kind of thing. So they feel very good that that is a place there could be some national consensus. And you're right. It may be that uh, Senator Graham is thinking, all right, all these different states are doing their own thing. But what he argues is even if um, you allow this to go on, there are countries around the world we're in very bad company when it comes um, to the extent of which you would allow some of these late-term abortions. Like, do we want to be on the same page with China and North Korea and some of these very brutal places that people live? Um, so that may be part of the conversation that he's, you know, Rich Lowry has written a piece defending it, saying, if you can't get behind this as a Republican, um, then you just have to shut your mouth on the issue. So, um, you know, we'll see. I'll ask him about your theory. I will, I will credit you. I will say this theory, according to Brian Kilmeade. So great first show. How did it feel? So wonderful. I mean, there's such an amazing Fox News Sunday team that has been there, some of them for decades, literally. So they have been part of the foundation with Tony Snow, with Chris Wallace. And so just to step in and join their team, um, feels good to have one done. And uh, we're cooking up some fun things for you this weekend, too. Oh, that would be great. Now, what was it like having me promo the wrong show last week when I actually Uh, promoted a former show that we aired already? I thought it was a little bit of a test, like to see if I was paying attention, if I was awake and if I knew who the guests on the show were going to be, right. which I thought was very clever of you. Right. Thank you. Um, so let me ask you, what, what happens to your show now that you were hosting? It still exists, and you'll see a lot of the same friendly faces you've always always seen there, like our much-loved Kevin Cork and others who help and work with us at night. The team is still there. They are amazing, and I think pretty soon you'll have a decision about who will be permanently sitting there on Fox News at night every night at midnight Eastern, 9 o'clock Pacific. Will you have a say in who replaces you? I have zero say. I am not allowed to be in the management of what happens around here. I mean, I know you're sort of used to running the show since you do 18 projects a week. Um, But no, I kind of have to stand by with everybody else and and see what happens. Can I make a suggestion for who you could suggest? Okay, let's hear it. Britt Hume. Put him back five days a week. Oh I'm my tired gosh. of this. You know Get him back. To do a midnight show. <laughs> Listen, Britt is such an amazing coworker and friend that if we needed him to, I think that he would. But would he? it might be past his bedtime. I don't know. All right. I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to say you suggested it. Okay. Get back to me on that. Sandra, I'm going to uh, – I can't uh, – Sandra. Uh, Shannon, <laughs> I have Sandra coming on next. Shannon, I cannot wait uh, to see you on the national show on Sunday whenever you decide to air it. 
Okay, in your local listings, check them online, and um, tell Sandra I said hi. All right, <laughs> go get them, Shannon. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 Then Sandra Smith will be on previewing my appearance on her show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. President, you have just averted a nationwide railroad strike that would have been crippling to the economy. How did you do that? And what were those last hours like in the negotiations? Well, look, we brought business and labor together. One of the things that happens in negotiations, particularly if they've been elongated like these have, is people say and do things where they, their pride gets engaged as well. And it's awful hard to back off of some of these things. So what we did was just say, look, let's take a look. Let's take a look at what's happening. You have a good deal being made for labor. Their, for, their income is going to go up 24% over the next five years. They've worked out the, the health care piece. They worked out days off. They both sat down, in my view, and I were in the office today saying, well, we finally figured out this is fair on both sides. And it took that time to focus. And, and the alternative was just not thinkable. What do you mean? If, in fact, they had gone on strike, the supply chains in this country would have come to a screeching halt. We would have seen a real economic crisis. So that is the compelling 60-minute soundbite that we wouldn't even put on our show. That was Scott Pelley's big soundbite that's going to get us to watch on Sunday. Yeah, the big, the big news show. That, that's what it was. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. He has not spoken in 200-plus days, and that's what you have. I guess they feel as though it's breaking news. But it's a train strike no one even knew was happening until the day before and was averted by the time we hopped on the air. And a lot of people say, here it is. I guess we're watching it now on TV. We just played it. You guys beat him to it. So that's it. And he does a great job bringing everyone together. Now, you know what it would have been the normal 60 minutes? It would have been Joe Biden. Will you or will you not run? Your wife would not commit. 72 hours ago, your wife would not commit. Says you hadn't even spoke about it. How could that be? Or Joe Biden, you know, everyone says the economy and inflation is the number one issue. You're saying gas prices are great. They're still well over $3, aren't? Like, don't you think families are still feeling the pain? Right. And yet you chose to have a party. Is that smart? Yeah. Of course it's smart. You know, and then, you know, you'd hear him snap back at you like he snaps back at Peter Ducey because he hates tough questions. I mean, look, this is total speculation. It's probably not what happened, but it's almost like 60 minutes. Uh, the White House is like, we'll sit down with you finally, but this is the cut you need to release. I know it's not what happened. Would 60 minutes ever do that? No, I don't think so. But I'm just like, it seems that it, it's it, that nauseating. See, Scott Pelley, does, I think he does a really good job. I, do I know agree. he's got this green bent to him. I've seen him at events, but he's got a tough job. If he's going to sit down in 60 minutes with his reputation on the line, I know he was kind of kowtowing to Barack Obama forever. But we lost SNL, which used to skewer politicians of all sense. And now if we lose 60 minutes, it's really Fox and nobody else. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now we're choosing to build a better America. An America... 
as confronting the climate crisis with America's workers leading the way. We're rebuilding an economy, a clean energy economy, and we're doing it from the bottom up and the middle out. I'm so tired of trickle down, I can't stand it. Okay, that, uh, we didn't ask you that, but go ahead. Uh, but with me right now is Sandra Smith. Uh, she's the same Sandra Smith who's co-anchor of America Reports and filled in for Dana Perino this morning on this Friday. So, Sandra, you're, you're loaded for bear. I got you in between shows. Yes. Right. And I actually just came off of Stuart Barney on the Business Network, so I'm all riled up. I'm right. ready for you. Uh, I like – we just went over possible topics, and we're going just about every way. But I don't think I delve into crime enough. And this morning on Fox & Friends, we ran a clip from uh, this McDonald's executive saying he can't staff at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't know what's going on in Chicago, but I can't staff at McDonald's. And then when the FedEx uh, CEO coming out saying, I see a global recession, I'm looking at my numbers. They don't look good. Where do you think we're heading now? Well, how does that play in, in the midterms? A lot of economic reports are backward looking. A company like FedEx, the behemoth that that is, is a forward-looking indicator. They have a serious task of looking at the economy that is about to happen, not that has already happened, and adapt the number of stores they have open, the number of workers that they have. And this is a serious warning. I mean, they're cutting their revenue expectations. They're shuttering stores. This is a huge prediction on their part that we are about to see and live through a huge global economic slowdown. McDonald's, I see that story in two parts. The warning was, yes, one, that the CEO of McDonald's headquartered in Chicago is having a hard time attracting and retaining top talent at its headquarters. Those are white-collar workers. You know, those are people who come in making hefty salaries. They don't want to raise their families in Chicago. The crime is so bad. Have you seen the street racing that's going on? It's killing people. They're they're getting together on social media. They're organizing within minutes. They're running rampant right there in the business district, district, the loop of Chicago. This is no longer isolated, just certain neighborhoods. So there's that aspect of the McDonald's story. The other is that... He can't keep certain McDonald's actual restaurants open because of the crime. People are walking in. They're holding up cashiers at gunpoint. They're robbing the stores. It's an absolute disaster. So he can't even get people to staff some of those McDonald's restaurants. That used to be pretty high volume when I look at where he's talking about. So that is just a mess. The crime that is happening in these once great American cities, we're experiencing it here in New York. You know I was born and raised in the city of Chicago. People have fled that city. And guess what that means? Tax dollars are fleeing. You already saw Citadel leave. Ken Griffin, billionaire, leave that city. Boeing left, uh, took its headquarters and ran. Uh, it's a mess, and it seems to only be getting worse. People have to wake up to this. Uh, I think they do. Uh, do you think Republicans are making the most of it? Messaging is a huge problem. When I look at the real clear politics uh, margin of potential victory in the midterm elections, I mean, Brian, it's easy to look back a few months and there it was accurate to have predictions of a serious red wave coming. I mean, you had a huge margin of potential victory for Republicans. That's not the case anymore. That has narrowed a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the political analysts are attributing that to abortion. Uh Democrats are really really winning on that messaging. And if this election is about that, that will favor Democrats. But Republicans, not only do they, can they focus on inflation, they can focus on crime. They can focus on the open borders. That is what they are. Ask the migrants themselves. Griff Jenkins did. But if they don't win on that messaging and don't energize voters to get out and vote on that, 
It could be tighter than many were predicting just a few months ago. Here's Rick Scott on this very thing. On what, what are your issues? Cut 29. What are the top three issues for this election cycle? I, th- I, think, that, I think it's, it's inflation. I think it's uh, the border crisis. Um, I think it's crime. Those are probably the three biggest things I hear about from voters all across the country. And also I think that you not only say, hey, guys, crime is bad. It's their fault. What do you do about it? And I think that's what, Rick, uh, that's what McCarthy is going to outline this coming week. Fairness to him, he wanted to do it this week, uh, but the queen died, and he felt as though it was going to be squelched. And he was right last week. This week it's kind of petered out a little bit. So he's going to come out with his plan uh, on what he's going to do. But uh, is it bolstering cops? Is it cracking down? Get rid down? of these soft-on-crime DAs that are destroying these cities. Uh, actually enforce the laws that are already on the books. Uh, don't turn a blind eye to the crime like Mayor Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. I don't know how you don't. And by the way, if you're not supporting your police, how can the police do anything about it? In Chicago, they're showing up where these street races are organizing within minutes. They're happening in the middle of the night. They're destroying the city. And when cops show up, Brian, they're attacked so I don't know how you can expect to beef up your police force in yeah. an environment where they're being attacked when they go try to enforce the law. I mean, that's where we are today. So the other thing is the president's interesting message on this. I mean, we're starting with his blood red speech at Independence Hall. His message has always been very divisive. Even yesterday, it's about white supremacy being an issue. Excuse me. Where does this even come from? Then you send uh, the vice president up in a jet, uh, Air Force Two, into Buffalo, talk about green energy and talk about bringing the country together. Here's a little of the voters talking about whether the president is a uniter or a divider. Cut 34. Biden is not uniting the country at all. I think since he's been in presidency, you know, things have just gone wrong. You know, the um, gas rates have gone up, like uh, the housing market's crashing, the recession's gotten worse. It's just so many things to name. I think divided. Um, I think he made a lot of promises that he hasn't acted on yet. He doesn't love this country the way he should. Let's be completely honest. The country was already divided to an extent. Biden didn't really help and he really didn't like, make it worse. I think he's done a decent job trying to unite the country. You know, I think he's... um. I think he's doing a good job. I think, you know, obviously he hasn't been perfect, but no president's supposed to be perfect. I thought they've made almost no effort to bring the country together, especially after the summer. I don't see any of it. And just to the whole ultra MAGA MAGA thing, I don't care what your mall focus group shows. There's no way that that does anything for to get anybody on your side. In fact, it makes it harder for Republicans to say, I'm going to work with this guy on the next project. In fact, and the fact of the matter is his policies are hurting the very people in this country he set out to help the most. I was jotting some things down there while we were listening to those folks. I'm thinking about inflation. That is hurting the lower income, lower middle class folks the most in this country. That is the ultimate tax on them. You have had a president and a press secretary that we watch almost every afternoon show very little empathy for people who are living through this. In fact, they have to have this green energy agenda shoved in their face every day, knowing that that that. Doing nothing to help. We're not ready for that. Um, So until this president says he's going to do something about inflation, those are the people who are going to be paying. The upper middle class, uh, you know, Americans, they're going to be able to weather the storm a lot better than those folks. The other thing I wrote down, the border is closed. That was Kamala Harris over the weekend. The border is secure. I mean, cue the pictures of just the. That's what caused this more than anything else. hundred percent. And so that ignoring of the problem, I mean, to go back to inflation, remember, inflation's not going to be a problem. Right. Uh, 
last month, the president saying zero inflation. And here we are with sky high inflation. Anybody who's seen their wages go up, it cannot keep pace uh, with the high price of just about everything. But Kamala Harris over the weekend, boy, was that something. The border is secure. And then we took Karine Jean-Pierre's White House press conference yesterday, you know, the daily briefing. And we dipped in and gave her a chance to sort of respond to that because that's why these Republican governors say that they sent those migrants to places like Martha's Vineyard and to the doorstep of the uh, vice president. No, the White House doubled down on it, said they, they know they believe that the border is secure while acknowledging there's work to be done. And the previous administration broke it. It was a broken system that they brought. And Corinne Jean-Pierre, I've never seen someone struggle in this position like this. And. I don't think anybody had a tougher job than some of the things and some of the tweets that President Trump would put out right before Sarah Huckabee Sanders mm-hmm. took the, 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 the podium or Kayleigh McEnany. She'd have to respond to that tough job. But they were conversant. Mm-hmm. They could handle it. I get the sense that she's not even putting the time in to study the issues. We all get nervous. Mm-hmm. If, you, if they gave you – when uh, you know, I have a different feeling when you do Fox News Sunday or mm-hmm. if they told mm-hmm. me, go fill on an ABC. Yeah. Well, we used to be on the air. But when you do something new, I get it. Totally understand. I think we understand it more than most. But it has been months now. Mm-hmm. And how do you not know this stuff instinctively? Mm-hmm. The hard part with me would be holding back and not setting policy because it's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I got to somehow defend what somebody else wants to do. You see her scramble through that leaf, loose leaf. It's unbelievable. Can I seize on something? You don't see it. Guess what? We're the only network that actually takes those those uh, briefings at the true? White House. I did not know that. Um, no, I watch it every afternoon. We've got one coming up at 1 o'clock today. I always watch my quad box. I've got the other networks on there. And I do not see the other networks carrying the White House press briefings. During right. Trump, Trump years, 100%. Listen to this. This is what you witnessed. Cut five. Does the White House stand by those comments that the border is secure? Oh, yeah. What we stand by is that we are doing everything that we can. Uh, to make sure that um, uh, that we follow the process that's been put forth. That, that's why we have uh, historic funding uh, to do just that, to make sure that, um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, to make sure that, um, to make sure that uh, the folks that we encounter at the border be removed uh, or expelled. So I called Bill Malugin about that this morning before I went to air on America's Newsroom. And I said, okay, so Bill, what are you thinking in your mind when you hear the White House say that we are expelling more migrants from the border than any administration before the, before the Biden administration? Well, of course, there's more people increasingly every increasing every single day. There's an extraordinary amount more uh, migrants that are flowing over the border. So naturally, the number that are being expelled is going up. But they're trying to end even that, Brian, uh, with Title 42. So it's, you know, obviously they're they're trying to spin some numbers there. Um, But they doubled down on it. They doubled down on it. And there's not an acknowledgement. There's not a visit to the border. No. Uh, There's no change in policy. There's no acknowledgement that this is just an absolute disaster. And what those border towns have been living through, if even some of these towns get a taste of it, perhaps it'll change the minds about how this administration is dealing with it. See, the thing is, and I'm watching everybody come to this party lately, and I even watched the repeat of World News with Bill Moore. Uh, Is it Bill? David Muir. David Muir. That would be better. Uh, if I actually got his name right. But I watched Bill Maher, David Muir. Yeah, I, at 2.30 <laughs> in the morning, I'm watching the repeat. 
And I'm watching to see what they cover. And they're covering this, but they're covering from the perspective of how cruel and inhuman it is, not even acknowledging with some perspective where they came from. They came from the border of 8,000 people crossing on a daily basis. Do you think somebody would have a bridge that says, however, from the Texas point of view, Mm -hmm. having 8,000 cross on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and having these small towns overrun is not fair either? which makes you go bring back to the administration that's not doing a good job. Yeah, it is desperation because Ron DeSantis has a swagger. It doesn't mean he's not crying out to say this has got to stop. Cut 11. We are not a sanctuary state, and it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And, yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. Biden would fly people in the middle of the night dump them all across this country. There was no warning on any of this. And all those people in D.C. and New York were beating their chests when Trump was president, saying they were so proud to be sanctuary jurisdictions, saying how bad it was to have a secure border. The minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, they all of a sudden go berserk and they're so upset that this is happening and it just shows you you know their virtue signaling is a fraud americans need to be reminded of those secret flights remember i mean ron DeSantis is making the fair point that hey we put them on a plane and landed them in martha's vineyard everything you said was accurate in broad daylight uh these flights north of new york city here in westchester county they were landing those migrants in the dark of night uh we sent reporters out there to ask the questions to the authorities that were on the ground did you have a heads up police local police had no idea these flights were coming but when pressed i remember in the moment the white house press secretary jen Psaki at the time saying these aren't secret flights this is part of our strategy. This is part of our policy, that we fly these migrants, we deploy them to other areas of the country. So the Republican governors are making the case that that's exactly what they're doing. One other thing, Bill Malugin setting the record straight on, I believe it's a Massachusetts governor saying uh, that these migrants are being lured onto the buses. Bob Menendez said it as well, uh, said it's outrageous. These people are being lured like human traffickers onto these buses. They don't know where they're going. Bill Malugent saying these migrants aren't lured onto the buses. All these migrants sign waivers and pick which city they want to go to. And some are happy for the transport. The head of an NGO in Eagle Pass told CNN that migrants go willingly and they enjoy the, quote, free ride. And you saw our reporters Did, asking them as well. Let me ask them. I'm very curious if Bill, if CNN aired that. Because, Fair enough. Right? I'm I very mean, curious to see. Because, by the way, great job on for you to follow up with him um, to add, get to specifics. Because these are the questions everyone asks when we open up the phones. Yeah. Um, but this is it. And uh, go ahead. Finish your point. No, no, I, I think this, the record needs to be set straight on the, the idea. I, what is it? The uh, California governors accusing DeSantis kidnapping. of kidnapping uh, both governors, Texas and Florida kidnapping. Right. And the same thing in Westchester Airport. I got reports uh, about six months ago. They're landing at MacArthur Airport. In case you don't know, around the country, that's a small airport on the east end of Long Island, not the east end, but in Suffolk County, Long Island, which is a medium size that they were landing there in the middle of the night. They're just trying to get confirmation on that. So, But in Westchester and in, in Newburgh, New York, which is about 80 miles from New York City, mm-hmm. they're also doing that, and okay. they're not announcing it. And it's Rob Astorino who ran for governor in this state and has been yeah. a legislator for a while who got the tape and aired it and said, yep. I stand 100% behind it. Yep. And we interviewed some of the people that were working at some agents said, yeah, I was told to prepare to get a plane. So how is that right? Yeah. So why – I just don't understand at CNN. I don't care who you voted for. 
at least include that in the story mm-hmm. that what's happening at the border and that's been happening on the Tell federal the whole government. story. So listen, who's on your show? Um, I've got, I actually just ran into Pete Hegseth in the hallway. He's going to be joining us coming up. Uh, on the money angle, Art Laffer will be joining us, formerly of the Reagan administration. Uh, we've got political panels talking about what we just discussed, that shrinking margin of potential victory. And- uh, Larry Kudlow as well. And I'll be on. Back in a moment. Ah! Where's Kilmeade on that? It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Don't forget to watch One Nation. Uh, It'll be on at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. And by the way, especially Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG listeners, don't forget November 13th. I'll be uh, Sunday, November 13th, isn't it, Allison? Yeah, November 13th. Tulsa, Oklahoma, going to be live on stage, be able to talk about all my books. America, it's a red, white, and blue night. We just did it in Albany. Special thanks to everybody that came out uh, and made that such a fantastic event. And we're going to go back on stage, and I cannot wait to get back out to Oklahoma. The tickets are selling extremely well two months out. And then we'll be in Brandon, Mississippi the day before, and I'll be filling up. That'll be that Saturday. And I, I've ne- I've only been there a couple of times, so I look forward to. I've never been to Brandon, but I would look forward to being there live on stage and also taking your questions and have a chance to uh, talk about also what's happening in the news. But I did not know history was going to be under attack, and that's why I want to arm you guys with the knowledge uh, to push back uh, comprehensively and accurately. And at that time, um, the President Freedom Fighter will be out in paperback with new additions and new information. So we'll talk about Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. Meanwhile, don't forget, Saturday at 8 o'clock. And if you want any of my books at any time for a big event, just go to BrianKillMe.com. It'll go to my local bookstore, and I'm able to show up uh, once every other week and be able to personalize them and send them out. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.